Hi, this is Hetty. This is Tina. And this is Love and Inclusion in the Real World. Um, <laughs> so today we are recording remotely, practicing correct social distancing. Um, I'm at my house, Tina's at her house, and we have a really special guest today. Um, consultant, advocate, special ed guru, um, Patrick. And I'm going to let him say his last name because I always butcher it. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard, but it is. Hi, everyone. My last name is pronounced Schwarz. Schwarz. Patrick yeah. Schwarz. Um, I always want to say Schwartz because that's what it's... I don't know because I do. Anyway, Patrick... Um, is just like this amazing force of nature who consults across the whole country um, with special education um, uh, departments and teachers and programs. And um, he is an author, right? So we've got Pedro as well. We've got Just Give Him the Whale and um, a new book coming out, Reimagining Special Education, a special education makeover book. And I'm really excited to hear about that. <laughs> um, so welcome, Patrick. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yeah. And where are you at? Because um, we're both here in Colorado. Where are you at right now? I'm in Chicagoland, so a little north of Chicago. Okay, great. So um, we have been doing a series on when inclusion doesn't seem to be working for your students. And... Um, Right now, the question might seem a little bit uh, <laughs> like it doesn't apply right right at the moment, um, but I think that it still does apply because education is still happening and our kids still need to be included. Yes. And we wanted to talk about the concept of um, those biases that get in the way of really seeing our students as learners. So um, with that in mind, Patrick, I would just love for you to share what you see in terms of that across the consulting that you do. Right. I... Uh oh. I think that if we look at the whole involvement of the field of special education, there were two separate worlds when special education came into play. And so there was the general education world and the special education world, even though we had a lot in 1975, when special education truly started in the form we know it today, that was saying least restrictive environment. And it was also noting that it was in the general education classroom to the greatest extent appropriate. The big problem is people interpreted least restrictive environment in quite a few different ways. So early on, what people thought was the right thing to do is let's go separate and smaller and simpler. And there were um, things that were taking place that actually created a lot of statistics that were not good in terms of people who have disabilities and their education. 
And probably the biggest issue is that there are a lot of these things that are still with us, even though we have the research, we have the information that shows that including kids, all kids learning together in the same classroom is the way to go with supports such as universal design, making curriculum accessible, differentiation, making learning work for everyone. And also um, the big buzzword right now is specially designed instruction. That's what we used to say curricular adaptations for. Um, the acronym is SDI, but the purpose of that is individual supports to keep kids in the general education classroom. We have all of this information and however, we are still seeing that um, kids are in separate environments in many places, going slower and simpler, and it doesn't work. In my new book, what I'm doing is I'm looking at those practices that are still with us that don't work, identifying them, and based on research, sharing what to do instead. That's so exciting. Thank you. I, it is exciting. I think um, I think it's important to think about the history of special education, right? And like, because I think it's important to acknowledge how far we've come, right? Because we have come a long, long way. Um, but, you know, if you're traveling from Boston to Los Angeles, when you get here to Colorado, you've come a long, long way, um, but you're not there yet, right? Like. Yeah. Like it's important to stop on the journey and say, woo, we like we've really done the long haul, but boy, we still have a lot in front of us. And I think as a parent, that's the part that feels hard for me is like when I hear these messages of um, how much we've done without coupling that with but how much there is still to do. Right. And um, I know like we've had years where Cora has not been seen as a learner in the classroom. Like not because of anything she did or didn't do in the classroom, not because of any skills she was missing or anything like that, but just because she came into the classroom with an IEP and a little, um, her little Down syndrome face, right? Total, complete, 100% stereotypical bias of what she was able to do or not to do. And so a lot of those really great initiatives to include kids, I feel like I see sometimes that they're not even applied to certain kids because we've already decided before they get to us what they're able to do or not to do. Right. And it's, it's an assumption. It's an assumption that, um, or has an extra chromosome, so this is where we start with her, as opposed to just just too surprised as a learner, and this is what she knows or what she doesn't know. Yeah, and so I think that that's the hard thing. Like, how do we take these really great initiatives and get buy-in from teachers that they can apply to any student in your classroom? Yes. Exactly, and if you look at a student, first of all, uh, treat it as a mystery curiosity tour. So. What are the passions and interests of the learner? Get to know them as a person 
develop a relationship with them and definitely communicate and collaborate with the individual's family because they are the experts on their kid. They know so much. They're the first and ongoing teachers for their kid. They're the teacher, the other 18 hours. Technology. Also, student advocacy. And if you look at the current film, Crip Camp, is one of the things that's really big in that is looking at the power of self-advocates and looking at the power of their families and how they can change what's going on in schools and the law, etc. And the problem I think we see is that educators and schools have not always caught up to that information and knowledge. That's why we need people out there teaching, doing professional development, showing the right way to support students. Well, I think that professional development is a big gap because I, because I have attended anti-bias um, professional development that did not even mention people with disabilities, right? Like we talked about all of the other very valid, very um, clearly there biases that we have, right? But the, the, the concept that we could be biased towards people with disabilities was never even on the table. And I think, wow, like, are you kidding me? Because like you talk about the power of self-advocacy, but I'll guarantee you that when Cora advocates for herself at school, she's labeled as non-compliant, right? She, she's not just saying like what she needs or standing up for herself. She's not following their agenda there's not it's not seen as a strength it's not seen as an incredibly important skill for to be developed in her it's seen as a negative um and that troubles me as a mom well yeah that's disheartening um also too if we're if we're gonna talk about that we also i think we should talk about the word compliance yeah. <laughs> like, well, they're compliant, right? Like, right. I'm like, well, it's not, um, it's not an inspection on my vehicle that I'm compliant with. Like, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's a human being. And um, they have a really good point, Hattie, because um, because if somebody else was to advocate, and they're looked as, wow, they have great advocating skills. They stand up for themselves. They stand up for others. Um, Unfortunately, though, you said when Cora does it, it's more of a non-compliant thing, which is right. a whole other, yeah. Well, I think, you know, Patrick, you have that poem that you use in your presentations, and I, I would love for you to share a little bit about that, like how, like how we spin what we do versus what a person with a disability does. I would love to hear a little bit of that because that is all about bias, right? Yeah, the poem is called The language of us and them and it's by Meyer Shevin and he very kindly let me use it in my first book from disability to possibility and what it is as you illustrated Hetty is a poem about double standards so there's two different ways of looking at everything and there is one viewpoint where it's looking at people as capable as having possibilities. And really the rule of thumb is 
to treat everyone and characterize everyone the way we ourselves and we would like our kids to be characterized. And then the poem also illustrates a different, um, we would say kind of a disabling type of characterization that we're trying to avoid. And I think it was beautifully done. And I think outlook and mindset is everything. And I think language is also everything. So we have to very much be in tune with that in terms of how we characterize people and bring that forward every day. Because again, that contributes to the attitudes that we're trying to avoid and that we're trying to surpass and transcend, which are traditional and proven not to be true in the research is we need to characterize people well, we need to look at their abilities, we need to capitalize on their abilities and bring that forward to work towards positive achievement in school. For sure. Um, I just think at like, uh, you know, like I can be super appreciative towards an educator for the work that they do with my child while at the same time still saying, um, but it can be, get better. Right. Right. And here's this bedrock piece is that when I see you interact with my kid, what I see is that um, you've already drawn some conclusions about her capability um, without giving her the opportunity to show you her capability. And um, that can be a hard conversation to have with educators, but I think it's a really important one to have with educators. I think it's a learning tool for educators as well. Um, I think a lot of times it's well-intended, right? Like. Um, I don't think that I'm choosing to believe that they don't um, like, oh, this kid has Down syndrome, that's fine, I got it, right? Um, I think it's one of those things that sometimes um, with all of us, once we, you know, you get into a routine and you can do the same, you know, not, not necessarily the same thing, but kind of have this groove of doing things, and then now you have a speed bump. So what are you going to do with the speed bump, right? And so, um, I think it's just important um, for, as a, as a parent, right, to be able to express to the educator, hey, here's here's what I'm feeling and here's why I'm feeling it. And it's just as important for the educator to be open, to be able to be like, gosh, that wasn't my intention and how can we move forward? Well, and I think it's worth saying too that bias can come from really good places right like like and I say that as a mom who has realized just in this past year how like how a lot of times my tendency is to make a judgment about what Cora can't or can't do based on the fact that she has down syndrome and I'm and that I care for her and that I want to keep her safe and that I want to keep her cocooned a little bit right like I have a I, like I have this mother's bias that comes from a very good place. It's not a malicious place. I don't want to maliciously keep her from doing things. And I've interacted with teachers who were so kind and so compassionate and so interested in being a friend for Cora, but their expectation of her was like way down here in the 
basement in terms of her academic life. I think it's important to start where everybody else is and look at where the supports are needed rather than have that low expectation because every educational study and piece of research shows that low expectations don't work. So high expectations are super important. Um, when I was preparing to become a teacher, one of the best assignments I think I had was to spend an overnight with a family who had her, a son or daughter that received special education services. I don't know if we could get away with that these days, but <laughs> it was an assignment and I learned so much. Okay. And always what I brought into my teaching is first of all, I mentioned the parent being the expert before, but also I think empathy is really important and not making any assumptions about the student. I think it's human to make assumptions about people, but I gotta tell you, this happens to me every single week. Somebody will challenge an assumption, so I remind myself, don't make any assumptions. Start by finding out about the person, getting to know them, develop a relationship, find out what their passions and interests are. Uh, for people that know them well, like their family members, and the individual themselves is find out what they're excited about, what they like to learn, the best ways to make that happen. And then you're on the right journey to supporting the person in education. Otherwise, if you don't do those steps, I think preconceived notions and this idea of low expectations really do come through. So I think there's some steps to combat those preconceived notions. So if you're, oh, oh, you go ahead, Tina. Well, I was going to say, um, as an educator, right, and um, you know, all, and all the consulting that you do too. Um, but you think that that would make the educator's job easier too, because if they know that somebody's passionate about something and they design a unit around that, like, I think it would be great for them to be able to see student just shine, right? Right, and what I tell educators to do is go in the whole proposition like this is your own kid. And also I think what's really important is um, to think big, to get big, and uh, look at how can we make this all work. I think something that is so direly missing in a lot of places is common sense as well, is <laughs> We think we have to do all of these quote special things when really that can be the area that's harming a person to the greatest degree. I think everybody's special in their own way, but having high expectations and finding the way to make learning work are the way to go with both of those areas. And again, we have the research and information to make that happen. It definitely is a professional mission. I am traveling the world all the time, not so much right now, but I do have a computer and I'm talking by a computer right now. So um, the word needs to keep evolving and the learning needs to keep evolving so we don't make the mistakes of the past.
Yes. For sure. So if thank so, you all your work. thank you so much. Um, thank you. I love it. <laughs> so like, so I'm a, so like, say, you know, like you see that, a, 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 or you talk or work with a school district or a teacher or a family and you can see that that the, like the barrier, the, the the one barrier that has to be overcome before anything else is for people to just really believe that kids who have disabilities can be learners, right? Um, what would you recommend that a parent do to, to, you know, contribute to that change in their own district? Like what can we do as moms and dads and um, even individual teachers to kind of drive our district in that direction i think um first of all is to model what you'd like like to see and what you're looking for and i think one thing that's really helpful and we saw this in a conference we were all at um the peak conference recently is to get connected get network find out places that are having successes find out families and kids that are having successes and spread the word, have people go out and visit, uh, work on making connections and um, talking to people, uh, finding the people in the district that are willing to make it work and um, connecting them also with the constituency that you are building and just take it one step and one day at a time and I think by modeling it with your own kid and all the great things that are out there, I think that's a fantastic thing. Also getting teacher teams in school districts to the conferences and places that you're finding helpful, I think are really good things. Um, school districts typically have professional development funding for educators. There's a certain amount in a lot of places that is approved every year. And there are also administrators that have the discretion to sometimes approve more resources for people. So um, it's all about building those relationships, making connections. And when you find those stumbling blocks, um, actually don't let that stop you. Keep your conviction and turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones. I think that's all really, really important. And again, the information is out there. It's how do we build the best connections and relationships to make that evolve in the place that we're looking for that to evolve. And that's so true. And I, um, I took this morning, I knew I was gonna talk to you again today. So I was doing the math, eight years. That's how, that was the first time I met you was eight years ago. Um, and it was just like um every time i hear you speak it's like i first time i heard you it's like oh my gosh you're so insightful and so um so dynamic and um that's one of the biggest things uh, when i knew you were coming to colorado although we're not in colorado anymore <laughs> um that was the biggest thing was i was like we need to get patrick on our on our podcast um because you just have such a great way of of looking at it from a different lens right and also um you know i remember you talking about when somebody talks about their, their label um you i remember you said it's 
or attribute. And I will, that just has always stuck with me for so long. And um, and a lot of times people are like, do you have a kid with a disability? And I'll be like, well, I have a kid with an attribute. And um, it just really changes the way um, I think that view, um, view my child, right? Like, like, oh, you, you see this as a, you see this as a blessing or you see this as a gift. And, um, and I think it kind of helps um, me as a parent sometimes when I'm like, what in the world is going on? Because now, you know, he's 16. <laughs> so there's oh, a lot wow. of other things going on. <laughs> so and yeah. <laughs> I know. I, and that goes yeah, back okay. to that modeling, right? Like, because like when people ask us about our kids in general, we don't, like, I don't tell them about my other kids shortcomings, so to speak, right? Like we don't sit down and talk about how, well, this one doesn't do that and he can't do this and she, right? But when it comes to our kids with disabilities, that's like sometimes like our starting point, right? As opposed to- so because that's what's in those kids' files is the deficits that qualify them for special education services. So we have to undo that and looking at talents, gifts, attributes, and uh, we've got enough of the other stuff that really doesn't help you teach someone or support someone or evolve someone in learning. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that people don't like introduce me with a tagline of all the crappy stuff that I've done and oh, like all the things I'm not able to do. Like, like she's terrible at math. Um, I'm so glad that that's not you know, but, but, but we accept it for our kids. And that, as I think about it, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's just like, that is not right. That's just yeah. not right. Um, and one of the things that, um, Hetty, you know, we get to hike a lot, so we have lots of conversations. And one of the things that Hetty like has made me reflect on and made me think about is, you know, um, when you say those things within earshot, of, of your child or of the individual like um i mean if somebody was to list my deficits within my earshot how so crunching would that be right like not talking to me right talking about me with my deficits like oh tina blah 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 blah, blah. like i would just it would really crush my soul yeah right that would do a quite a number on somebody's self-esteem and all of the research shows self-esteem and learning go very much hand in hand. Yeah, I think that's true. I So I was telling Tina, I listened to a podcast and there was an actor, a famous actor, who said that um, he did a lot of things to compensate because he felt dumb because he had to go to special ed. He didn't feel dumb because he couldn't read or because he couldn't do the work. He felt dumb just because he had to go to special ed. And I thought, whoa, that's like, that's huge. That ought to inform every decision we make about where a kid goes at school. Right. Yeah, and I think um, in that situation is special education seems like it's a place and it's not supposed to be a place. No. It's supposed to be a service and the service is to support people to general ed success. Right. That's really the purpose of it. So that's what we really got to make happen. Yeah, for sure. And I feel that if that was really happening at the core, right, that actor wouldn't have felt that way because 
he would have got the services that he needed, not in a placement. So, right. um, so it would have never occurred to him that it was a special ed placement, right? It would have just occurred to him that I'm in some support. And support that's making a difference so I can feel successful right. at school so I can have a good right. self-esteem, right? Like that's how it exactly. should work. So listen, we're like running out of time, serious. Oh, so Patrick, okay. when is re-imaging special education, a special education makeover book planned for release? I'm not sure. This is the first time I'm doing something very different is I'm handing a book to a book company that is completely finished. And oh. I've never done that in my life. The other six um, is book companies seem to want me to write the books, but I've had an editor who's looked at one chapter at a time as I've been writing it. But this was something that I didn't want anybody else to interrupt along the way. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, there are already um, publishers that want it. So we'll see what the next steps are. Okay, great. Keep well, us updated. Yeah, keep Thanks. us updated so we can keep our listeners updated. So um, listen, everybody, like, keep at it. You're doing great. Whatever you're doing at your house, even if you get to the end of the day and it doesn't feel great, it probably was. So hang in there. Wash your hands and yep. wash your hands. Stay safe. Six feet apart, even if you're going to hike, six feet apart. Um, this is Hetty. This is Tina. This is Love and Inclusion in, in the, the real world. world.